When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, thrilled to have you here for another epic debate. And want to let you know if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. And also want to let you know as well, folks, no matter what walk of life you are from, Christian, atheist, you name it, we hope that you feel welcome. We're glad you're here. And with that, want to let you know a couple of quick channel housekeeping type things. In particular, folks, we are pumped and you don't want to miss this one not far away one week from today matt delahunty and samuel nassan will be debating whether or not jesus fulfilled prophecy of the old testament that's going to be a juicy one folks you don't want to miss it live so hit that subscribe button and that notification bell so that you are getting all notifications and so you don't miss that epic debate coming up in a week also folks we are very excited to introduce our guests. So I'm going to do just that. Want to let you know they're linked in the description. As of now, William doesn't have a link. However, we are thrilled to have both of our guests. And so we're going to give first Randolph, president of Canadian Atheists, his chance to share about what you can expect to find at his link in the description. So Randolph, we're thrilled to have you. Thanks for being with us yet again. And what can people expect to find at your link in the description? Oh, thank you, James. And and for those who are just listening and can't see the screen, the uh, the link is www.canadianatheists.ca. That's the website for the Canadian Atheists, uh, where one of our mandates is to uh, to normalize atheism in Canadian society and hope that catches on around the world. And also, we're uh, uh, pushing back against uh, attempts to vilify atheists. And, and so far, things seem to be going well in this regard. Uh, we've seen some uptake on the hashtag normalize atheism. So it, it's wonderful that we're seeing more and more support for this. And, and what we mean by that is if uh, we're, we're, if somebody were to say that they're religious, uh, the usual reaction is to accept that without really any kind of a problem and uh, or any kind of uh, reaction that would seem unusual. But when some sometimes when people identify as an atheist for not believing in, in a deity or deities, they um, the reaction is sometimes from people shock and surprise and concern that we're going to hell or something like this. And so, uh, of course, what we're asking for to normalize atheism is that we receive the same treatment as religious people and uh, not get that kind of reaction, but just be accepted as this is a normal thing. And we're saying it's it's normal to not believe things, and that's why atheism is normal. So uh, that's uh, a campaign that we've been pushing fairly heavily on in the last year or so. And uh, we're, we're hoping that this will result in better quality of life for everybody uh, in the long run. So uh, thank you again for having us on your uh, wonderful debate program. I'm looking forward to getting into this with William. Thank you very much, Randolph. And William, glad to have you here. Interesting story. Got in a little bit of a spat in the uh, Q&A with Skylar Fiction the other night. We're glad you're here. First time. And so, William, we are just glad to have you here. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for being here. Um, hopefully I do uh, justice to uh, to my position, and uh, I hope that uh, people enjoy the topic. And it's definitely a spicy one. Not only do a lot of atheists tend to have a 
difficult time with this proposition, but a lot of theists as well. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so, folks, want to remind you that you could say that if you happen to be a Christian, the theology may differ. And so let me just give you a, you could say, kind of a preamble in terms of William happens to be a Calvinist, and so he will be kind of defending the Calvinist Christian perspective in regard to tonight's title. So with that, we are going to jump into the opening statements. And so, Randolph, thanks so much for being with us. The floor is all yours. Well, thank you very much. My concern with the, uh, the proposition uh, covering, is God moral for creating those he predestines for hell? The very first problem with this idea is that God has predestined some people for hell before they're born is what I assume that means. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be a predestination, would it? So if somebody's going to design you to suffer in your life or suffer after your life, uh, that seems to me to be a, a pretty horrible thing to do. A, a pretty, uh, um, it, it's, it comes across to me as rather sadistic. Um, when I hear people describe the God of the Christian Bible as, as a loving father, uh, a caring father, and whatnot, um, I find it strange that there is uh, an omniscient, an omnipotent uh, God um, who is... Um, who is predestining people to hell, um, except for the chosen ones who are, um, uh, I guess, the elected, uh, um, the unconditionally elected ones who are um, somehow, as I understand it, um, exempt from this. Um, but then there's people who can be born again, apparently, and, uh, and also escape going to hell. Um, the concept of hell uh, introduced by, G uh, by Jesus Christ, uh, as I understand it, um, uh, brought in all this horrible punishment. And, and I do think that uh, an infinite punishment um, for, uh, for a finite uh, transgression is, is also, to me, something that I would not consider to be a moral choice. Uh, to me, it seems that the moral choice would be more to go along with, uh, uh, with, with, with a fundamental of justice that is fair and equitable to people and does um, out consequences and perhaps some punishments in certain cases uh, that are fitting for the transgression or the crime that was committed. Uh, that works a lot better for people. So if somebody does something minor, a minor consequence makes sense. If it's something major, then a much more serious response is usually required. And, and that's how it's supposed to work. Um, so uh, I guess uh, I'll leave it at that for now um, and uh, pass it over to my interlocutor, William, who I, I look forward to hearing his opening statement. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. Appreciate that, Randolph. And absolutely, we will kick it over to William. So the floor is all yours, William. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, you know, in order for this debate to, to, I guess you could say, take place uh, fairly, um, there, there are some questions that I have. Um, for one, um, if, if, if you were to make the claim that God, that God's choice for predestination is immoral, um, you'd have to ask the question of who is the author of morality, right? So if, you, if you're you'd have to ask that question. Then two, are we willing to have the thought experience that a God exists in order to determine if God is immoral, right? So God can't be immoral if he doesn't exist. And then the third point question that I would have is, are we willing then to apply the attributes of God that he gives himself, right? So are, are we going to judge that God based on the attributes that he's given himself? 
Um, so that's really the only way to fairly debate the specific topic in a logical uh, pattern, in my opinion. And then the second thing is, is does is this a theology that the Christian faith or the or the scripture actually promotes? And I don't want to bore the audience with reading a whole list of scriptures, but you know, just a, just to name a few, if people want to go back and watch this again and look, you would see like Ephesians 1:11, uh, Proverbs 16:4, First Peter 2:7, Jude 1:4, Second Peter 2:3, Romans 9:7, Romans 9:22. Right. So, I think there's a fair bit of evidence that actually shows that the doctrine of predestination is actually a a right theological position and, and really what it's tied into is this the sovereignty of god right so um randolph had mentioned in his opening that um that the that necessarily does the crime fit the punishment right or does the punishment fit the crime rather and that really comes down to as what is the point right what is the purpose of the christian religion is it good works here on earth or is it to serve a sovereign and holy God throughout all of eternity? And the crime isn't whether necessarily you told a lie, but rather whether you are, you are giving God his due uh, worship, right? Because that's, that's really, if you look at the Ten Commandments, that's what all of those, especially the first three, are focused on is um, God's sovereignty, right? So God's providence and God's sovereignty. And those are really, the, I, I think that's, a, that's one thing too that's hard for a lot of theists with this particular topic is sometimes they try to defend against the, the accusation against God is, as, is he evil or does he partake in evil or does God do evil things? And scripture would say absolutely not. And the reason isn't because God hasn't ordained that evil to exist, but because he is above I guess you could say the human plane, right? He's not part of our consciousness, right? So um, a lot of people like to say that we're image bearers of God, but what does that actually mean, right? An image bearer is, is the same difference between a photograph and the actual person of who the photograph is being taken of. So God has given us certain traits and qualities that reflect his own traits and qualities, but they're not equal. And so for us as humans to feel as though we are justified in in judging the person who gave us those is is i think i think that would be uh, blasphemy that would be violating the commandment of uh putting other things before god or having other gods over god making yourself making your own judgment making your own rational mind the authority when the authority is god himself right so that's what the theology teaches um, I'm willing to play thought experiments to entertain both sides, if a God exists or if a God does not exist, and how does this apply? And I think that the the key point of, especially the Calvinistic uh, point of view on this on this type of theology is is really parallels. Um, and I don't think from having researched Randolph a little bit and, and learning a little bit about some of his worldviews, and I hope to to find out more about that as we discuss this over the next amount of time. But you could say that Sam Harris is the Calvinist atheist, right? So uh, Sam Harris's um, uh, philosophy on free will and how free will um, is the more ethical, 
the non-existence of free will is a more ethical way to go through uh, life and, and, and to explain certain things. Um, it's a more moral way. Uh, we too as Calvinists feel that, um, that their free will is not, does not exist. So, and because of that, I think that it allows us as Christians, as those of the elect, to have empathy for those who aren't because we're equal, right? So especially for me, I feel as a Christian, it is not our place as Christians to legislate morality, right? Because I'm just as bad as every other person. My lie is, is, is equal to the murderer, right? In God's eyes, because we've both put our, our thoughts and our wants and our choices above the sovereign God. And that's my opinion. You got it. Thanks very much. And what we were going to do, folks, is jump into the open conversation. So if you happen to have a question, feel free to fire it into the old live chat, tagging me with at Modern Day Debate. That way it makes it easier for me to see every question and get it into that Q&A list as the Q&A will follow immediately after the open discussion. And folks, last thing, I am pumped about this. I have to share it. And so I hope it's useful to you that I am excited that we have been getting a lot of downloads on the Modern Day Debate podcast. So we have moved into the podcast realm where all of these debates end up on the podcast as well. And so we want to let you know, hey, if you've not checked it out yet, pull out your phone, open up your favorite podcast and find us as, like I said, I've been just super encouraged that people have apparently been finding it useful and want to let you know, our guests are linked for every debate in the description of the podcast as well. So that way, if you're listening via podcast, you can find everything in the description box from YouTube in the podcast description box as well. And so with that, thanks, gentlemen, and the floor is all yours. Well, I, I will say that um, I did try to research William before the debate began, and I just couldn't find anything on him. So he's he's well hidden in preparation for this debate. <laughs> uh, joking aside, um, you did uh, uh, start off with three questions in your opening statement. You're asking about who is the author of morality? Are we willing to have a thought experiment if God exists? And are uh, the willing to judge God based on the attributes uh, he's given himself? Um, these questions, you think that these questions make this debate fair. Um, I, I noticed at the end of your opening statement, I, I couldn't help but notice you had pointed out that uh, in God's eyes, a lie is equal to uh, a murderer committing murder. Um, please, please tell me if I've misunderstood anything. And I think the third question, I might have uh, not made the note quite correctly there. Yeah, so as a Calvinist, we believe in total depravity, right? So we believe in the total depravity of all human beings, right? That all have sinned and fall short of glory to God and are deserving of the eternal fire and hell, right? So from a Calvinist theological position, that is, that is our view, right? That regardless of the things that I think that I've done good in my life, I am deserving of judgment. Okay, and um, so to me, that seems that just judging everybody as uh, assuming that everybody is is sinned or is bad somehow to me sin is is not a good meaning um it, it's a bad thing and so that that's the whole point of atonement is so that you can make uh, a correction for that sin for that that bad thing and uh, make things right uh, to me to just presume that everybody is bad by design 
seems to me that um, it's it's kind of like a setup. You're setting everybody up to fail by default, and then people have to do more to get away from that. Um, to me, this doesn't seem consistent with reality because people are born. There's a, a Latin term, tabula rasa. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, but it, it means blank slate. And the idea in philosophy, as I understand it, is that we're born without memories, uh, without positions or, or beliefs, and we develop these as our brain develops and we get uh, more clear on these things as we get older and uh, and better educated on things. So to to make that presumption doesn't seem to be consistent with, with the idea of the blank slate that we're born with. Uh, sure. So first of all, I would like to say that it's not that we are bad by design, right? We are bad through voluntary human choice, right? So if you if, if we're going to play the thought experiment that God exists and that it's the God of Christianity and that the, that, that, that scripture is a complete reflection of what God has decided to reveal himself to us through. Right. And, and that's mm -hmm. what the Christian faith is. That's the position that we have to take that we were all, we creation was created perfectly. Right. Without flaw, without sin. Right. Adam and Eve were the, were the first people and last people besides Jesus Christ in our theology to be born or created without sin, right? So it wasn't until sin entered the world, right? And being in that being that, and the, and the whole original sin that was created was that Adam and Eve chose to place themselves at an equal level of God. They rejected God's sovereignty, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, and uh, oh, no, you're being very clear. Um, so that sounds to me like um, for what my ancestors did, I have to be responsible for that. I am held responsible and assumed to be uh, uh, sinful as well because of that. Sure. Well, it, it's not that necessarily you're born it's like a child. They are born into a, a, a sin-ridden world, right? To into a, a sinful environment. Okay. Is is it to the point that they have actually committed to sin themselves? No. I mean, there's there's even though it's not specifically laid out in scripture, there is a strong theological uh, viewpoint for the age of accountability, right? Um, but the point is, is that if especially if you look at the way, if you look at the, if you really look at the Ten Commandments themselves. They're really more of a thought experiment, and they're really more, especially the last group of them, the covet section of the um, Ten Commandments. And then also, too, when Jesus came in and basically summed up the law, it's more of a thought ex experiment, right? So, you know, Jesus says, you know, well, you, you can say that you've never murdered someone, but I say, even if you have hated a man, you've committed murder in your heart, and you are therefore guilty, right? So there is no level, even the thought, according to Jesus, if you want to be honest to the text, right, to what to what the theology is actually, actually is there, right, even having hateful thoughts of another person makes you guilty of murder. So in God's eyes, right? Okay, yeah, so that and, and I, I have a big problem with that because that becomes a thought crime and that, that create, can create a lot of stress for people because a lot of time people can't control what they think, but sure. most people can control our actions. So, you know, how we act and the things we do and the things we think about are two very different things to me. I don't see that somebody who's contemplated murder has actually committed it because 
the person that they're considering contemplating murder on is still alive. They have not been killed. Sure, so but I, they did... I have trouble with that because to me that doesn't that doesn't seem to follow logically to say that they're the same thing because to me truly they're not. Right, but the 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 entire uh, doctrine and theology of predestination, uh, providence, sovereignty of God, um, election, which is the, the topic that we're debating here tonight, it's based off the assumption that that God is, um, you know, all powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, uh, omnipotent, you know, all of those things, and that um, and that He is outside of time as we know it. Right, mm-hmm. so He is seeing. Uh, not creation as it unfolds, but he's seeing the beginning, the end, the middle, all at one time and able to interact at any specific point in time. It's the same way that a computer program can see his completely finished program, but yet also go into the code and and interact with that specific line of code in that particular program. Mm -hmm. Um, So God's not playing on the same conscious level that we are. And and the, the great thing about this particular doctrine and I, it's a hard concept to grasp and there's a, probably a good 50 percent of the of the christian church doesn't necessarily uh, accept this this theology as um biblical for reasons i necessarily don't understand but um and i think it has to do with, maybe <laughs> well well i think i think they have they they have a hard time letting go of their human um aspect right they have a hard time letting go of the fact that they're not in control and so really the why the thought crime process and why why I feel that it's a moral one and why I feel that it's um um and, 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 you know Sam Harris does a lot better job secularly explaining this uh, of why the concept of of no free will is a more ethical and moral um position um and for those who aren't um you know necessarily theists they can go and and, and listen to his uh his, his hour-long video that he has on this or books or however they want to get the information. But mm-hmm. um, why it matters is because it allows us to let go of all judgmental um, aspects of our life, right? I am no better than the, the theist is no better than the atheist simply because I've chosen to believe and you haven't, right? I'm just that. lucky you're not, right? It's And so what it does is and, and because you never know, right? So as a Catholic, we believe in preservation of the saints, which means that the elect will always be elect. That if you are an elect, you can never not be elect because the person who's made you elect is God and God, you can't beat God, right? So, um, but we don't know if we're elect until our life here on earth ends, right? So that's why Paul says that we're supposed to work out our faith and fear and trembling our fear and trembling every single day we need to um be motivated by the fact that i'm a sinner deserving of hell right and if i'm not exercising my faith daily right then um you know things will be lost and i and a lot of people say okay then they get into fatalism and determinism right if you don't have a choice and whether you believe or or not uh, why not just sit back and do nothing well, the thing is, because this type, this this theological viewpoint, it's really the same viewpoint that Sam Harris has, and how he 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 backs up his atheistic version of Calvinism, I guess you could say, <laughs> um, is um, that because you become a more empathetic person, and you're free from the pride that's associated with you choosing to believe over this person who didn't, right? Which there's a bit of a, a I'm better than you because I've made this choice and you haven't. 
you're free to be friends with with homosexuals and transgenders and and all of the things that textually right we find are sinful but you're just as you're you are just the same as them you were no different and so because you have that that freedom of not of of, of the loss of the judgmental attitude you're able to really just express just to have a personal relationship with that person and express the joys that you've experienced based on the things you have and pray for them in hopes that God decides to save them too right so well I'm to me it sounds like there's uh and you said a lot of very interesting things there and and quite a bit of it I agree with the I find that there's um a big problem with the idea again I'm going back to this but it, it I'm, I'm just not satisfied with the idea that uh, a thought crime is equivalent to actually committing the crime one is thinking about. And um, it seems to me that, um, that your God is committing the black and white fallacy by just all crimes, everyone burns forever in hell. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're safe. Like, to me, that's not the way it should be. You're, you're asking who's the author of morality. Well, in the context of God, uh, the uh, according to the Holy Bible, uh, God is is the author of morality, and uh, you seem to confirm that. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm questioning this uh, idea of God's morality. When I look at uh, the story in the Bible of God flooding the entire planet and killing everybody by drowning, to me, that doesn't seem like a moral decision, um, especially if uh, when, when we're talking about, uh, I guess, newborn babies, are they are they sinners already? Uh, it, it kind of sounded, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like you were sort of alluding to the fact that there are some exemptions until, exceptions there, until people actually start making the choices. Because you, you sound like you're differentiating between being born in a sinful environment and actually being born uh, in sin as a sinner. So, um, you know, uh, if, if the innocent newborns are just getting drowned, like that doesn't seem like a very nice thing to do. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe, I, I believe that I think scripture is very clear that God will never send someone to hell who doesn't deserve to be there. Right. There's. Yeah. But I'm asking person. about, I'm asking about uh, drowning everybody because that's an extremely painful way to die. I, I've drowned once. I was thrown in a pool by somebody, a drunk person when I was a little kid. He said, I'm going to learn you how to swim. Next thing I know, I'm in the water and I can't, I couldn't keep up and I blacked out bef just before I hit the bottom or when I did and woke up on a cot coughing out uh, <laughs> chlorine filled water. It was a very unpleasant experience, uh, to put it mildly. And uh, so when I imagine what it must have been like uh, to die in a flood, you know, that's mm -hmm. pretty horrible. Um, that, that's not a, a very nice way to go. It seems to me like your God has put a lot of extra effort and work into flooding the entire planet instead of just snapping his fingers, make everyone disappear painlessly. Why did he have to choose the more painful method to, to end everything if all he really wanted to do was start over? I, I, I don't necessarily know if I can answer the question as to why. Okay. Um, I can answer to the question as to how God has shown to reveal himself to us in, in history, right? So mm -hmm. God has chosen for whatever reason that he is going to interact with his creation through his creation. And so that the whole, the whole breadth of scripture is, sh shows that, right? So um, 
God could have appeared to, and, and, and it may be for a mer- very merciful reason, right? Because it's, it's hard for us, if you, if you were to use the analogy of, um, and I think this is a, a, a very, uh, a looking very kindly on human beings to use this type of analogy, but if you were to consider ants and humans, right, as the analogy, the analogy, uh, I think it's, it's, it's slightly not as, in, as analogous, but, um, but close enough to, to, the, to the relationship between God and man. Mm-hmm. Um, if when an ant sees us, does it realize the scope of what we are, right? So if God were to appear to us in his actual form, it, it, it may just drive the human, human mind to insanity, right? You may not be able to comprehend who and what God is, right? If he's a all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent um, being, right? Um, so he has chosen to interact with us through creation. So I think it's to the point is so that we can comprehend the lessons and the things that he's trying to teach us, right? So he appears to Moses in the burning bush, right? Um, he appears, uh, he comes to earth um, uh, in, in order to complete salvation through Jesus Christ. Um, he appears to Jacob as angel in angels, right? So um, I, I don't necessarily think that being the finite creation that we are. I mean, a lot of the time, scripture, how scripture, the, the analogies that scripture used to, to describe the relationship between God and man is between human beings and inanimate objects, right? Pottery, clay, wheat, right? So uh, I, I just don't think that the reason why God had, is choosing that, that, that form is because that's just how he interacts with his creation is through his creation. Okay. Well, when you say he's interacting through people, that's that sounds very nice. But God didn't get people to flood the world. Uh, the story goes that God made that happen directly. That's sure. Um, I mean, but but it wasn't that God made ra- rain appear from nowhere. Right? He didn't make people yeah. do it. He opened up the depths, right? And water came from the the atmosphere and from the depths and and flooded the world. Right? It was a natural occurrence. Sure. He ordained, correct? Sure, he made that happen. But um, yeah. he's, again, that's not interacting with people through people. That's a direct interaction that he's making, even if he's making indirect events occur, like uh, like the flood. But that's that's not saying, okay, you yeah, not necessarily interact not with people the sky through and people. flood the world. He's not doing that. That's not in the story. Yeah, not necessarily interacting people through people, but interacting through, through, through creation through creation is what I believe I said. Oh, is that what you mean? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I think the comparison with the ants is uh, certainly an interesting one, but it, it, it has a significant flaw in it because ants are uh, not created by people, but apparently people are created by God. Mm-hmm. So God also created the ants. <laughs> right. So, and that's why I said that I felt that it was a overly. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because what the, the, the analogies that scripture gives is mm-hmm. fields planted by the farmer or pots made by the potter, right? Those are the types of analogies. That yeah, and I do want to get into um, in a moment about uh, maybe uh, delve into that a little bit because the idea that the creator is also uh, has the right to decide what happens to their creations. Um, we see this in employment situations where uh, somebody will work for an employer and their job is to 
create things, but they don't actually have any right to control what happens with those things. Uh, that is, uh, somebody else has that right. And so uh, I'm, I'm curious, before we get into that, uh, the, the last thing I wanted to touch on was you had uh, mentioned that God is trying to teach us things. What was God trying to teach all those people who died in the flood? What would be the value of even teaching them anything if they're going to die? I don't necessarily think he did it to teach those particular individuals, but humanity as a whole, right? I think that we we look at at the present, at our current state, um, with the importance that it is giving us, right? So, for instance, if we were to look at the ants' world, right, what is the importance of the ants' environment to us? Mm-hmm. It's not very important, right? But we have a mission, and we have we have we have they have what they call God's God's um, and I'm losing it now, but basically you have his will or what his plan is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have the the parts of that that necessarily don't don't follow. And and God can have a plan. And so his his goal is A to B. And there's a term for this, but I've lost it for some reason. Um, To get from A to B. And there are things that necessarily may happen in that that he's not pleased with, right? That he's not happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, and he may end up decide taking to take a different road to get from A to B. But he has to get from A to B because that's that's his will, right? That's his desire. Do you think he could have chosen a different path instead of flooding the entire world to still teach humanity? Sure, and he does, right? Because he promised afterwards not to do that again, right? Why, why didn't he choose that the first time if he's omnipotent, uh, omniscient? We, we can't know the, the works and the thoughts of God, right? I mean, that's just, honestly, that's, and that's, this is where it comes to the sovereignty of God, where your typical Arminian position would say, um, you know, that, that God isn't involved in any evil or, or anything like that. But um, we believe that God doesn't commit any evil, but he has ordained it. Because if God is all-powerful and omniscient, um, how can he not be responsible, right? And I think that's that's the thing that a lot of atheists try to to play gotchas with, with people who necessarily don't have a Calvinistic worldview, mm-hmm. is because they really don't have a good answer for those questions, right? Whereas we say we do, right? According to scripture, I think Paul gives the greatest explanation in, in Romans 9, 22 through 24, right? Where he's he's basically saying, who are we to question God, right? Right. So, and that's really kind of my whole question of, of who's the author of morality. So, right. So from a secular point of view, from a, necessarily, you know, I, I think you're more, you know, from your writings, you tend to be a more of a moral um, uh, objectivist, right? Uh, no, um, I don't think uh, that there is objective morality, but I, you, you mentioned that just, we'll get into that. I just sure. you had mentioned that uh, at one point uh, that we can't know, I guess, the designs and thoughts of God. Is that right? Yeah. Then Only what he's shown us. Well, and then that makes it very difficult to judge whether his actions are moral. Wouldn't yeah. you agree? I agree. Yeah. And, and so, not only that, but we're not in a place to judge in my opinion, right? Oh, I think we are. I think because we're living this life. 
we 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 should judge what's going on in our lives. We should try to determine what is uh, what is right and wrong. Uh, we teach our kids this. Well, I, my wife and I teach our kids this is what I, I meant to say there, and uh, to to be thoughtful about what they're doing. And um, we don't use the harsh lessons of drowning them or or things like that to teach them. Um, I, I think that when it comes to morality, like, like a really big one too, is uh, when somebody orders a parent to kill their own child, to me, that is extremely immoral. And I think this is, you're familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, to me, uh, people turn around and say, that's a teaching lesson. But, you know, at the end of that story where uh, Isaac didn't actually get killed, this is, and this is an example of a father who's doing more than just thinking about it. He's, acting out the murder attempting to actually do it and had to be forcibly stopped intervened at the end um and it was uh, to, to prevent it from happening because he was going to carry through with it um there doesn't seem to be reflection afterwards on the psychological ramifications of poor isaac um imagine if uh, you're a child and your own parent attempts to kill you uh, to murder you um what kind of psychotherapy would the average child need to to cope with that and and uh, kind of get past this big problem in their life and get back to being as normal as as a child should be none of that seems to be covered in the bible and i was thinking you know if god is omniscient why didn't this get included in the bible why is this not there again this tells me that what he's doing in the commandments say thou shalt not kill as an author of morality and then uh turning around and ordering people to kill their own children like there's a serious double standard problem there and to me that seems immoral and and the lack of reflection just makes it even worse sure. and this and, is why and, i'm these the reasons like this are why i have a lot of problems with the idea of god being a, a moral example to the world and I, I see that as highly immoral and there's many others i don't want to go through the whole list because i don't think it will <laughs> really change much <laughs> sure and i would say too that you have to, this is something that i think you have to be fairly careful with especially when you do you have to um look at the the order the sequence of events there right so you had your your events backwards god said thou shalt not kill after adam right or after abraham not before right so um, God set those rules on Mount Sinai with Moses, right? Those, that's the first time that those laws were placed or given to man okay. um, in, 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 that, in that way. So secrets events is slightly different. And God eventually did not carry, carry uh, through with that. But even if he had, right? Here, here's the great part about the, 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 the theology of the providence and the sovereignty of God is, Right. And the, and, the, and the believing and having true, honest faith in, in, in the words of Paul when he says that all good, all things work to the good of those who love Christ, right? So what that means is, and it's the same with the story of Joseph, where Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, right? Went through horrible things. God used that eventually to save his family and his countrymen from famine, right? by being brought into Egypt, which eventually turned in the whole nation of Egypt be, or of Israel becoming slaves to Egypt, right? But um, initially, it, it's it's knowing that, right? So if you could say, like, the, the I think the Calvinist has a, a calm and a peace about the suffering and the tragedy in the world, whereas people can say, 
um, and they look at, I think the big difference between people's, um, you know, um, non-theists or atheists and, and even some theists is that they, their focus is on the present world now, right? Whereas a person who follows or necessarily entertains the, even the Christian faith in general, but also to a Calvinist um, viewpoint of, of that theology is that their focus is on eternity, right? So it sounds, it sounds crazy to a person for Paul to say, right, um, that to die is gain. It is good to die, right? That, and to live is Christ. And what to live is Christ means is it's the opportunity to show love to other people in the same way that, that Christ has shown love and patience and mercy um, to us as the elect. Um, but the benefit is death, right? Death, the day you die is the best day of your life, right? According to, to Christianity. Well, That's there the go best. all your responsibilities now. <laughs> so... Right. But I mean, it, but that's the thing is that when you have when you're truly freed from the pride and the fear of the day to day um, life, when you're when you're released from those chains, the same way that Sam Harris describes it. Right. Um, is that you no longer are. I mean, he makes it very clear, like if he, when he when he gets into fatalism and determinism and he talks about this is Sam Harris, I'm talking about, you know, you, you can try to stay in bed all day and do nothing. Right but it, it's harder to do nothing than to not do something, right? And when, you, when you're freed from the, the, the pride or the fear or the bigotry or the tribalism that, that envelops your everyday life, um, it, it allows you to, to operate and have more joy going out and living your life to the fullest, regardless of, and it, Jesus plays out this theology in his life, right? He went there, he, he sat with the prostitute, he ate with the tax collector, he did all of these things. And the religious, right, the moral authority of, the cultural moral authority of the day thought that he was a horrible, horrible human, right? So, um, but when you, when you really understand that everything that is, is done, right, is not only a voluntary choice of yourself, but has also been predestined by God, Um think of it, if your child were to die in a car wreck, I have three boys myself, it, it would crush me. Mm -hmm. But if I could truly and honestly feel that that was something that God will use to teach me something in my life, there is no PTSD. There is no remaining stress. If I truly and honestly have faith in that, right, that, that, that this was done for my good, for my benefit. And even though I don't know why, I just have to trust God, who's the most powerful thing in all of existence, that, that it'll work out that way. Then there is no PTSD, right? There is no, there is really no suffering. It makes all suffering bearable. So I believe that works for you. And I, and I think different people need different things. And, and there are plenty of people that that will work for. And there are plenty of people who it doesn't work for. And so uh, part of life is figuring out what works well for us. So, you know, I, I, I don't fault you for that, for sure. Um, you mentioned, uh, you did touch on slavery slightly and, uh, from what you were describing with Abraham and Isaac, I got the impression that what you were alluding to is that, uh, God learns from his past transgressions. I'll call them transgressions. I, I think you probably call it his decisions. Um, 
his past decisions. And um, he, I, before you go forward, I'd like to clarify: I don't believe that God learns. Right? But, but, but you're saying he promised he would never flood the world again, for example. Correct. He didn't yes. learn from that. I, I don't think he necessarily thought it was wrong, right? He promised that he wouldn't do it in that way again. Right. So with slavery, um, I noticed the Ten Commandments don't have any edict against slavery. There's other sure. things. Uh, do you think there will come a day when he will uh, make an edict against slavery? Um, other than what he's already done in Scripture, I would say no. Right. And, and, and here, here's my question for, for you. So slavery is moral, according to God. God never necessarily positively expresses that slavery is moral. Right. And th this is what you have to look at at scripture for. Right. So the point of the point of the story of God and it, from his perspective and how and how he views scripture and, and how I get from his perspective, not that I know the mind of God better than anyone else, but okay. it's what Jesus said. Right. So Jesus says that that you search the scriptures in vain. Right. And what he's mean, because in them you think that you can find life. Right. But if you were really reading the scriptures, it would you would know who I am. And, and the point of scripture isn't for God, isn't, you know, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, you know, keeping the Sabbath, all of those things. The point of God is knowing that God is God, knowing the sovereignty and power of God, and being willing to and joyfully through a humbled and open heart through the gift of faith that he's given you, right? Follow that in your life, in your, ever, in, in your daily life. That's what's important to God, right? Like Jesus said, it doesn't matter. Even a person who, if you lose your sheep on the Sabbath, you're going to go find it, right? If it falls into a pit, who's not going to pull it out, right? The, the point of the Sabbath, it's not, it's not for God. It's for men, right? Jesus makes that perfectly clear. So a lot of these attributes in, in the Old Testament, when it comes to, um, you know, uh, all of the sins, the, the scripture list, homosexuality, murder, the Sabbath, eating mm -hmm. shellfish, um, poor, slavery, all of these things, those are for the benefit for the people of the, uh, here on earth to, to, to navigate in, in, in a positive, I think, in a positive way. You get into a, like a whole Justin or um, Jordan Peterson type view of how that that's benefits society moving forward. But um the, the main point that I want to express about slavery is, is that if you are following Christianity, and this is, this is, this is the thing that, that this is really big for me, um, if you're following the actual tenets of Christianity and the theology that is, that is listed out in, in scripture, how would you treat someone that you owned? I wouldn't own a person because I'm an advocate for freedom. Uh, right. Me, that, that's I'm a libertarian immoral. myself. Right. That's immoral. To me, that's immoral. But that's a modern philosophy, correct? No, I think if I was uh, a thousand years ago, I wouldn't want to be a slave even then. Right. So, like, so let me ask you personally: Who's the author of your morality? I am. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's based off of who your parents were, right? And it's based off a the, number of things. The country that you were born in the environment that you're around and social norms of the time of, of the time, a whole variety of things. Indeed, sure. a variety of things go into it. Uh, a big part of it for me is uh, the discovery of uh, John Rawls uh, 
veil of ignorance in the theory of justice, which is uh, actually intended for lawmakers, but I find it to be a, an extremely useful tool for uh, uh, determining, uh, for helping me to determine uh, moral, moral decisions and, uh, and moral outlooks on life and, and viewpoints. Sure, so. and, and that works. That works for you in your day to day walk of life, and that that influenced the thoughts and what you find, think of as. Being and it works for the others who I interact with as well, and that's sure. a very important consideration. Yes, and I'm sure that we would share very similar yeah. moral views, right? Maybe I get that sense. Indeed, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but what? But the difference is, is that if we were you, it is impossible to say, and I think Sam Harris makes this. Ex- ex- fairly clear. It's impossible to say that if you were born 2000 years ago, what you would do because you wouldn't be you, right? The, the cause and effect that led to who you are as a person would be different than what it is today. So there's, it would be impossible. It's logically irrational to think that you could have your same consciousness now that 2000 years ago, right? Well, yeah, I, I do think though that, um, people didn't like the fact that there are rules talking about how long to keep your slaves and uh, uh, how to punish them and whatnot uh, tells me that uh, the disobedience factor probably leads to the idea that people don't want to be slaves even then I I don't think people were willingly going into it I I, I seriously doubt it Um, it's to me uh, it seems that being human uh, part of it is um, uh, being free, working so that we can have certain freedoms in life and we can afford to do things and enjoy our life and um, be able to have our own time for things. Uh, from what I see from the Bible, it doesn't look like that's really there. And uh, there's an awful lot of pressure for somebody who's uh, received a wife from their slaveholder um, to to come back uh, instead of abandoning their wife and kids and all sorts of things like that, which all seem very unfair and very nasty. Sure. And I agree with you in our modern lens, especially coming through. Well, I think um, people back in those times wouldn't uh, wouldn't like it either. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of the slaves, there's probably instances where where slaves have retaliated against their their masters to 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 get themselves free, which I think indicates very clearly uh, that uh, people didn't want to be slaves. The fact that they they had to to buy them and capture them tells you that because if people voluntarily did it why would anyone need to buy them you know no sure i i i agree with you but i don't necessarily think that that's god condoning slavery i think it's god saying that if if this if this is happening this is the way that that you are to handle it not not also going against the other commandments that I've given you, right? So it's not an if and, it's a both and, right? Mm -hmm. So it's um, because God isn't concerned about a human owning another human. That's not a concern to God. God is concerned with his own glory, right? Well, but then then instead of making an edict, thou shalt not have slaves, it creates, there's a whole, the Bible is kind of a manual for how to be a slaveholder. So that to me, I don't think it is. It's not because in, Paul also says, right, that if you're a slave, be good to your master. Why? Why is it important for a slave to be good to his master? If you're a Christian, if you believe in, in the faith of Christ, right, and knowing that what it on, what happens on this earth isn't important, and that dying is a positive, right? That when you die, that is a good thing. 
right? And that we were to suffer as Christ suffered, right? Suffering to the Christian is a good thing. It's not well, a minus, right? It's a wanna, plus. I don't want to suffer as Christ suffered. I, I think he died in a very painful way. Sure. Yeah. Right. But but I'm saying that for a Christian, that's an honor, right? Hmm. Okay. That's an honor, well, right? So Paul, the, if you believe the way that Peter was crucified, right, why, if you believe that that story is true, which I don't necessarily think that, that there's a ton of evidence on that because the scripture doesn't necessarily narrate it, right? But... The, the, if you were to just imagine that that, that the the historical view of how Peter died, who being you know saying that he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his as his Lord, and that he wanted to be crucified upside down, right? That's the psychological viewpoint that people who truly follow the theology of Christ view the present world, right? The things that happen here and now, today, tomorrow, whether my son dies in his sleep or whether I die in my sleep, aren't important. Those things are minuscule compared to, to, to eternity, right? Jesus makes that specifically clear when he says, do not lay for yourself riches on, in, on earth, but build up your, for yourself riches in heaven, right? That's the most important part of Christianity is that what happens here in this world is meaningless, pointless, worthless, like dirty rags. And all righteousness, all the good things that Christians say that they do, all the positive things that people do in the world are there's dirty rags in the sight of God. Right. I, I think if uh, Peter did die upside down on crucifix, I, I really hope he didn't have acid reflux. <laughs> yeah, I have acid reflux. <laughs> That's a common problem out there. Um, it seems to me that the idea of um, God being moral or immoral, like where we're, you and I are at, it seems mm -hmm. that from the Christian or Calvinist perspective, or both perhaps, um, God is definitely moral. And from my perspective, as somebody who doesn't believe in deities, as an atheist, um, that, uh, and from what I'm seeing and judging myself, uh, that I'm not convinced that he's moral. To me, it seems he's quite immoral. And so this is kind of where we're at, is that we both have very different perspectives on this. And, and you know, I've given my reasons, you've given yours. I've asked most of the questions, and I, I'm, I'm happy to answer whatever questions you have. Um, you, you indicated earlier you'd like to get know a little bit more about my thoughts on things. And uh, uh, I, I think James, uh, of course, you can let James know whenever he thinks he can go on to questions as well. So <laughs> happy to entertain that. Um, Got maybe another so, 10 minutes or so if you guys want to, but we don't have to force it either, just in case you have any last points you want to discuss. I'm just afraid I didn't, uh, I don't want to be the one who's asking most of the questions. I want to make sure James, uh, William gets. Uh, uh, you're you're being, kind, also. being kind to me in my first, first uh, debate here on, uh, on modern day debates. It's much yeah. easier for me to answer than to, to than to, to prod. Um, Okay, uh, and I and I appreciate that, but I do have one question, and I, I it's it's more of a logical, logical game, really, right? Okay. And 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 that is really is the author who's the author of your morality, right? So if you're if for you personally yourself, God doesn't exist. We'll play this thought experiment. God doesn't exist. Right? Um, I'll just clarify. I don't believe he exists, but I'm not a hundred percent convinced. Right, you're. I, I believe you're you're in the neutral area. I've I've watched several parts. Yeah, and, I, and I'm okay with that position. Me. Yeah. <laughs> i'm not gonna you know darth no darth no because i i think it's it's <laughs> important to be honest and uh, so in all sure. hypothesis is where i'm at yeah yeah but we're i'm gonna because i i don't believe that there's not a god either right so i'm playing the same thought experiment with you right 
<laughs> if if I'm the author of my of, of my morality, right? If I'm the author of my morality, if 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 it, through my experience in my life and and, and, the, and the cause and effect that's that's gone on, um, I've built in my moral code, right? And to me, um, let's say that uh, kicking puppies is moral, right? Okay. That's my author. Now, if my son grows up and and, and he, he came through that, that moral authority that I set in the house, the kicking puppies. He very likely will have the same moral standard. Sure. He'll definitely have the same moral standard. But if he didn't and he were to say, Dad, I think it's immoral for you to kick puppies. But I'm the immoral authority. Mm-hmm. How can I be immoral if I'm the author of that morality? So this is something that... Uh, I've actually uh, brought to my children a similar kind of uh, similar kind of thought experiments uh, because I encourage my children to question my authority, and they've done that. And on a number of occasions, uh, I've my wife and I we've uh, uh, we've changed our our decision on what's going to happen because they raised good points. So we're we're our goal with our children is to raise them to think for themselves and make these kind of determinations for themselves and to try to understand concepts like the veil of ignorance and, and other perspectives and, and whatnot so that uh, they can do very well in society with others. And I think uh, I would hope that if your kid was to approach you about kicking puppies, to speak metaphorically, uh, that as a father, you I would hope by my own standard that you would also uh, be willing to take feedback from your son and possibly reconsider your position on that as well. Sure, and, and definitely. And if I was, if it came to a point that as my son was grown, and he he realized that man, I, I just don't know why why my dad thinks kicking puppies is okay. And this is the thing: my my oldest son, he's thirteen. Uh, he's an INTJ personality type. His favorite word is why, right? Why, dad? Oh, he's a natural philosopher. Excellent. Why, dad? Why, dad? Why, dad? Why, dad? My why kids dad? do this too when they're especially um, when they're younger. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 13, even if I tell him to put his socks on, it's, why, Dad, do I have to put them on that? <laughs> um, and me being an ENTP type personality type, so I'm the, I'm the debater, right? So we have a debater and a philosopher all in, in the house at the same time. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big, it's a fun time. But um, so for me, Dad is very important, and he's able, but him being the philosopher type, he is able to understand it if I lay it out for him, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas my youngest son, who's more of a the entertainer. In, in, in the in the MB personality types, um, he uh, he doesn't even question, right? If I say yeah. put your socks on, he's like, okay, Dad, I'll put my socks on, right? He just he just goes with the flow. That's his thing. He just goes with the flow. Yeah. So, yeah. If I had a good reason, say that all of the puppies that lived in our area carried a death deathly bacteria, and the only way to keep them out of your house was to kick them, right? But I didn't necessarily share that secret will with my children. Are they justified then in telling me that I'm immoral for kicking puppies? And that's why the dialogue is so important. Sure. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I, that's, I think- what, that's for us. That's the Holy Spirit, right? So in our theology, the, the Holy Spirit is that, that mediator, that, that conscious that, that tells us, you know, whether what we are doing now is okay or not. And in the, in the, you see the proof text for that would be scripture, right? So we receive 
communication through God, through the Holy Spirit, and that's verified to be true or false through Scripture. That's the theological viewpoint of Sola Scripture. My expectation is to uh, be able to get feedback from an authority and to, like here in Canada, I've challenged laws. And I was with a a group that we challenged uh, an anti-blasphemy law. Um, and we succeeded, and it got royal assent, and it got removed from our criminal code. And so, I would agree with you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's because uh, it protects you criticizing other ideas as well, and, and even different religions, or even your own religion. And uh, so uh, thank you for agreeing on that one. I appreciate it. One, uh, one more point, too, that I'd like to talk about before we go into questions real quick. And, okay. and it's maybe no, more it's just, I just want to finish my thought. Sure. Just, Sorry. It's just to say that, um, to me... If, if an authority is moral, they're mm-hmm. open to judgment and scrutiny of their own actions and their own policies and their own approaches. Mm-hmm. That's my own standard, but it's mm-hmm. one that I find a lot of people agree with me on. And I, and I think it's very important that, that we have this. Otherwise, uh, it becomes a dictatorship. And, and that's, to me, a dictatorship is not necessarily uh, the best kind of environment to flourish in. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah. I believe that to, to address that point quickly, I believe the scripture says that God is exactly that, right? Jacob wrestled with God. God isn't afraid of, of us necessarily questioning him as to why, but it doesn't mean that in the, it's like for in the example of me and my kids and the puppies with parasites, that the only way to get them out of your house is to kick them, right? It doesn't just because my son thinks that kicking puppies is immoral doesn't mean I'm going to change my morality because of the reasons that I have, right? I'll, I'm willing to entertain with him on those things, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to accept him rejecting my authority, right? I think, you I, were wise, I think you were wise to choose puppies over cats, by the way, because cats will scratch back. <laughs> but um, People to me, tend to like puppies more than kittens, so. <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, then if you like puppies more than kittens, why did you choose puppies? <laughs> For that example, now I'm just teasing you here. Um, I want, like, the scripture is written in the past. It's not Mm -hmm. written for current times, as often argued. If God really is an authority over me, then, you know, God can talk with me. I have some questions for God. And uh, my mind is always open, as opposed to the door always being open, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So far, nothing's happened. Um, I've, uh, so I'm still at the point where I just don't see any reason to believe that the deity exists, but you wanted to elaborate on something. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and this point is really more to, it's, it's also slightly a, a, a logic game and it has to do with, and you know, with us in our, in our current state, especially in, in 2020 and 2021, when we're talking about, uh, chattel slavery, right. And the, and and, and, and the church's role in that atrocity. Oh, yeah. And, and um, but I, my, and this isn't, I have to be careful there because I'm about to upset a whole lot of Christians. Um, that's okay. That's what, uh, that's what uh, open conversations and debates are all about. Kick, uh, otherwise, how do we table. find progress? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to play this as a game of, because of this reason, Calvinists is the only theology, right? No, I believe that God gives gifts. I think he gives different people with different personality types the ability to understand different theological aspects in order to, to benefit the, the, the church. And that's, uh, you know, a capital C, like the, the global church. Um, 
in different ways. But um, if you look, if you look at that period in time, it was Calvinists or people who 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 at least followed the five tenets of the Calvinist faith that were abolitionists. It was these people that felt like I'm just as depraved as that black guy over there. And, and, and for anybody who's curious, and if you really want to dig deep into this topic, um, I've mentioned the book in the chat and I won't say the word, but if you look up the book by Alexander McLeod from 1802, and, and the title is not, is not kosher for YouTube. So um, because it, it uses uh, E-G-R-O with, an, with another letter in front of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's using uh, racist terminology. Okay. Well, at that time, the the that was just the term that that, yes. that black people were called in English, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, um, the there are other disparative terms at that time rather than that one. That is a racist term today, yes. Yeah. Um, but it says yeah. the, the title of that is um, slavery unjustifiable, right? And, and Alexander McLeod not only says that it is unbiblical to hold slaves, he really goes into t- the detail about how the African-American people were no more inferior to us, which is a concept that, that even secular philosophers did not hold at that time, right? They may have been against the principles of slavery, but they weren't, didn't necessarily take the tenet of them being equal to, that all races being equal for and of. Are you saying and, all secularists or just some? Well, the, the primary ones of that time, right? In, I guess you could say. in the U.S.? In the U.S. Okay. Oh, that, yeah. okay. that's just one subsection of uh, the world. But okay. Yeah, I can agree with. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about yep. cattle slavery in the United States, right? Yeah. Um, and it was also Reformed Protestants in England who were the primary source of abolition in England. Um, it, the political aspect of it was more the king sticking it to America, right? So... Um, <laughs> Um, that was his his reason for doing it, um, spite versus spite um, and manpower versus. Uh, you think he might have used God's example as an example, as inspiration? Well, it's it's the same king that was chopping off the heads of Reformed Presbyterians, right? So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, oh yeah, what a history. Yeah, and. and, and I didn't know this until after the fact. It, it, my dad's not a Calvinist, um, but l- researching my my um, heritage to find that uh, if you go back to the 1800s, mid 1800s, that um, that my grandfathers were Reformed uh, Scottish Presbyterian ministers, and they actually mm-hmm. wrote papers on on this uh, on abolitionism. And and the 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 sin of that, and that that you could not That's even cool. you could not even partake in communion with a slave owner if you're a part of of their church, right? So you couldn't even be friends with a slave owner, basically. Um, so they were they weren't just I don't think they they, they were very much um, anti-slavery, right? So and that's, that's abolitionism. That's fantastic. There are so many different denominations. And so I'm not at all surprised uh, because there are denominations of all sorts of different views. One thing I notice common with all all of Christianity is that they, because I've, I've asked different people, I'll just point this out, is that the, the belief in God is the thing that is consistent with all of them. 
And then other standards are all over the place. There's, there's even some de denominations that don't believe Jesus was real. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's everywhere. That, that's a tenet. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe Jesus is real. That well, mean, this is the thing, and people disagree, oh, right? But they it's believe Christianity, in which is the, the, actually the, the original term that they called themselves in the first century church is the way. Or Christos. And yeah. also they're called Christians before, before Jesus came along. Right. The and, followers of the way. Right. So yeah. that was their, uh, yep. you know, and the way was of Christ, right? If you don't believe in the deity of, of, of Jesus Christ, you can't technically call yourself a Christian. And that's exactly my point. And this is what it comes to is that if, if, if I am, a, if my job is a, is, is a, uh, is a, is a trash man, but I call myself an engineer, am I an engineer? <laughs> yeah. So well, in, in these modern times, uh, there are certain uh, educational backgrounds you have to have for that. Right. Uh, and, and you could certainly be educated in it and not doing that job. There are PhDs who are serving food to because they couldn't find a job suitable for their degree. They're still PhDs. Sure. And there, but I'm saying is something, there are sanitary engineers, right? Mm -hmm. There are. But they... Yeah. They deal with more of, of, of other types of things. But the guy who's picking up buckets and throwing them in the back of the truck, if I call myself a sanitary engineer, am I a sanitary engineer? Unless I have learned, follow, and understand the qualifications that it takes to actually be a sanitation engineer. So my point, and I'm going to say this right now, is that every person who held slaves in Chateau slavery in that manner were not Christians. So I, I re wholeheartedly reject Right. Because and that's the whole part of being elect or not elect and people coming and Christ even says himself, there will be many who come before me and say, Lord, right. I, I, I cast out demons in your name. Right. And he'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. Right. Mm -hmm. if, if you don't if, if you don't check the boxes of being an elect, according to Calvinist theology, you're you're not a Christian, whether you go to church on Sunday, call yourself or not. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter. Being elect is not a matter of of checking boxes on a list. OK, I've done this and I've done that. And I've done yeah, this. Yeah. It's yeah. you're if you if you got if you're, if you're chosen by God and, and only chosen by God. Right. So and this irritates a lot of Christians, because I would say right now there is no way that you could. And that's why the Calvinist Church, the Reformed Presbyterian Church of, of that age um, and even a lot of the. the the whole reason why the Presbyterian church in America split a lot of it in the tenets that remained in the Southern part of the United States was over, was over this issue. And this was way before the civil war. We're talking late <coughs> 1700s all the way to the 1800s. Right. So uh, they've split uh, quite a few times uh, over a lot of different issues. It's uh, interesting. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it was so, solely to the Soviet point. Russia. They, they, they held their, yeah. Yeah. They held their topics, they held their foundations so strongly that they didn't get involved in American politics at all, right? They didn't vote. Yeah. Because they reveal that their focus is not necessarily on the here and now. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Politically, I'm more of a libertarian myself. So mm -hmm. yeah. um, I, I think you and I probably agree on quite a lot, like you were saying earlier. Uh, sure. like, and I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous for, for any theist to legislate uh, morality. I think that's yeah. absolutely wrong. Because uh, there, morality shouldn't be legislated. I agree. There, there, there's an absolute, there's an absolute biblical principle to this as well, and Paul lays it out that you know, 
Because he says then, if you live by the law, if you get circumcised, you're putting Christ back up on that cross, right? You're nullifying what he did there in order to justify you for what you've done. He's anti-circumcision. Right, yeah, he's anti-circumcision. How refreshing, Uh, because most of the Christians I've met are pro-circumcision. And and most of them are pro-circumcision too, except they focus on the opposite sex. No, yeah, he says, Paul says in Scripture that if you circumcise yourself, you're making yourself... um, uh, you're putting yourself under the law. Oh, hang on. No, no. I, I was talking about um, inflicting circumcision uh, non-therapeutically on infants and children. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I haven't circumcised any of my children. So I, Excellent. Yeah, neither yeah. have we. Yeah, we're against, um, I, I'm, I'm a victim of circumcision. I have phantom pain and scar tissue tearing problems. And it's, uh, it's, some people have it a lot worse. There's, there's issues that go on, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad that, see, here's another point we agree on. It's great. <laughs> yeah. And so my, my, my point for the, for the theists that are watching is that when, when you try to legislate to someone, whether it's abortion, you can be, I am morally and, and theologically against homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, for myself and what I know of my theology and what I believe that God's. And I disagree with your theology there. Sure. I disagree with that's that absolutely fine. But the thing is, is I don't believe that because, because I believe in the elect, right? That God chooses who believes and who doesn't. What right is it of me to tell someone else how to live their life? Because that's what God is supposed to do. I, I will I, say that I think those views are bigoted by the way. Yeah. And, and I, I have a very strong view opposite of what, what you said about the theological point of view there. So. I can't, but seriously, I can't be logically consistent to my theological viewpoint if I don't hold those that world. You're being honest, and I appreciate that honesty, and that is very important in these conversations. So thank you for that. Yeah, and but my point is, is that it's not okay for us to impede that on people who aren't members of the elect because they're not under that law, right? They they weren't under that law under Judaism, right? Only Israel was under the law, right? Do you? Do you think Sam Harris uh, checks a lot of those boxes in Calvinism that you were talking metaphorically about the boxes, not like a, a proper list, but because uh, you mentioned you're thinking that he's kind of a Calvinist as far as. Uh, uh... <laughs> this might be the last question before we go into Q&A. Yeah, oh, sure. Actually, let William have yeah, a go... question if he likes. This is a quick, this is a quick answer. And yeah, I think if Sam Harris was a theist, he would be a Calvinist. There's no doubt. Ah, okay. Okay. Did you have one last question you wanted to ask before we go to Q&A? No, I'm ready to go. Let's go. I'm sure there's a lot of questions popping up down there. So hopefully. Thank you very much for this wonderful conversation. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And want to remind you folks that Randolph is linked in the description. And in the future, if William ever gets a, if he ever has a link that he'd like me to put in the description, I'll add it in there as well. We're going to jump into the Q&A. Thanks, everybody, for your questions. Magellan, thanks for your comment, said, I'm from Singapore. Thanks so much for watching from Singapore, friend. We hope you're doing All well. Right. And say, I look Thank forward you. to the reasonality today. Well, this is definitely, I think this is a very, I think this is one of our most civil and even on a hot button issue type of debate that we've ever had. So I loved it. And like I can tell you guys in the chat, people really enjoyed it and have said like, Hey, this is awesome. Do this again. So thank you. James, what I will say is that we haven't agreed on whether God is moral or or immoral. Um, But it was, I agree, a very, very helpful conversation, I think too. Yeah. It was very, uh, yeah, it was very uh, reasoned and, and calm. And we like that. And Genesis undead says, if morality is given by God, why do we need to teach children right from wrong? 
Um, I don't think that you do. I don't think that you do. I've never taught my children to lie, but they lie because they're, they feel shame and guilt over something that they've done. Right. And I, I, I don't believe that we have to teach children right from wrong. I believe that there are, there are, are objective, natural, naturalistic moral values that are just innate in, in, in human values. It's the same way why animals, some animals will, you know, care for their young and some don't, right? It's just, it's, it's a instinctual thing that the, that the prime ten, tenements of, of, of morality are, are, are obvious. Gotcha. And thank you for your question. Ferris. I have one, one follow-up on that. I just wanted to add a little bit. Um, in the debate, William did say that he was talking about where I get my influence for morality from is from all kinds of environmental things and things around me. And I do think that does factor in with children as well. And I hope William agrees with me on that. Yeah. Point. Okay. Yeah, um, human morality. Yeah. As far as teaching morality goes, I will say that for myself, I think it's important to teach children to question what's moral and what's immoral. At least doing that is, is an important thing to do. I, 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 that is as a, I, even with my own children, yes. Do they believe in God because their dad, their entire lives has held that position? probably and most likely, but I apologetics is my biggest thing with all of my children. Um, I tell them to be apolog to be apologists with what they hear at school with what they, and that's why I entertain my son when he asks why, 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 why all the time I have to explain why does he need to tie his shoelaces this way? And why does he need to shine that way? Um, I have no problem explaining that, but yeah, apolog apologetics is, is, is vital. Gotcha. Thank you very much. And wanna I forgot you guys. Before we went into the QA, I wanted to say this. However, I just out of habit kept going. But this is something I was thinking about today, folks. Wanna let you know we have, and don't get me wrong, nothing against men. We have a lot of men debating, and you know, we're always the door's always open to men. However, we want to let you know if it's not clear, just to be absolutely sure that it's clear, if you happen to be a female debater. You are more than welcome on Modern Day Debate. We'd love to have you. And so want to let you know, I am at moderndaydebate at gmail.com. Just because we don't want Modern Day Debate to be like a good old boys club, but we really do want it to be a truly diverse mix of ideas, philosophies, people of different walks of life. And so want to let you know, we absolutely, absolutely do want female debaters. And like I said, I'm at moderndaydebate at gmail.com. I know so. a few. I'll let you know after the show, and uh, then you can... Uh... That'd be rad. Thanks. I totally appreciate it, Randolph. And that's another thing, folks, is that uh, you might not for maybe you're a guy and you're like, well, I, uh, you know, uh, I guess I don't fit where you're like looking for. We're, we're always open to guys as well. But you might be like, well, hey, I'm a guy like Randolph just said. And you're like, I know a female debater who loves debating. She enjoys it. And so, hey, we'd love to have more female debaters on. And so just wanted to make that clear, folks, is. We want to be, like I said, as well-rounded as possible as a community and channel. And so thanks for your question as well. This one coming in from Farron Salas says, Thanks, debaters, and James, for your time this evening. It has been a true pleasure. And like I said, folks, uh, or I should say, welcome of, I should say, like I said, Randolph. And like I said, William, people really enjoyed that. So thanks for that positive feedback, Farron. And then Amy Newman is i think it's linked to the top of the chat let me double check but yes absolutely right now i have linked amy newman's after show folks we will link any after show christian atheist republican democrat you name it we will link your after show if you have one and so want to let you know her super chat also said after show at midnight 
And it's in the, like I said, linked at the top of the chat for William. Let's see, they said for William, quote, deserving, unquote, or not, doesn't burning a person forever sound like he's a supervillain? Um, it sort of does. I get, well, I mean, to us it does, but right. But you have to understand that from my theological worldview, I, I can't, I can't question God, um, God's method of doing that. And, and I don't necessarily know if, if, if you'll be burnt forever, there is some theological debate about necessarily what hell is and, and how that works. But um, if let's just say that that is the case, that hell is it, eternal fire and, and you feel burning the, the, for the rest of eternity. Um, if you believe that that is not equal punishment for um, spitting in the face of a omniscient, omnipresent God who is worthy and due of all of our praise, then I, I would just have to disagree, right? Because if God is that, right, if you look, especially look at the book of Revelations, if you want to look at, it, it's not, a it, when, when you actually see God who, for who God is, the only expression that they can make is to fall on their face and just scream out and, and utter awe, right? And, and to, and to spite that God, is that an unjust punishment? I, 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 don't, I don't think it is. Gotcha, and want to jump into the next one. This one coming from Zirafa says, Hello, gentlemen. Hope you're doing great. And question for William. So thanks for your greetings, Zirafa. They say, for William, what does, quote, made in the image of God, unquote, mean specifically in the context of human morality? Well, I think that it means that God has given us reason, right? So what what separates humanity from the rest of creation? And that's the ability to, to reason. We have, our reason isn't God's reason, right? It's not a one-for-one one transfer. It's an image of, it's a reflection of, right? It's an imitation of, it's a shadow of God's reason, right? So to use our limited reason and knowledge in order to judge God's infinite reason and knowledge, I don't think is uh, analogous. Gotcha. And thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from... Sorry, guys. It's like my... It's okay. I'm foggy over here. Sigifredo Sarabia says, William, did you say that God can, quote, choose to save one, unquote, if conditional... Do you lean toward Armenianism? If unconditional, how does what you said lean Calvinist? God chooses to save one. I'm confused on the question and how that's not. I th- choosing, choosing to save some and not save all is Calvinism. The elected. Right. Maybe talk about the elect a little bit so that people can understand. Yeah, so the so, so the elect is that that before before time began, right? So before creation, God had God being outside of time, right? God is not restrained by time; He's outside of time. Um, he sees all things as they occur, and also intervenes in individual things through time. He predestined some. 
to be his elect and to be and to be given salvation which implicitly implies that he didn't elect all which means that he had predestined others to uh they call it the probate in calvinist theology um would be those who are not elect right and that's god's secret will right why god chose to do that he hasn't revealed to us but it's clear in scripture that that's what he's chosen to do gosh you'd have to throw out swaths of the bible in order to say that that's not a theology that 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 the bible teaches you got it and thank you for your question mr lightning 20 says if you're a teacher you want your students to succeed if they fail next year they have another chance to pass but with god if you fail and go to hell there isn't another chance god predicts this failure well, that's kind of been my understanding from a lot of the things I've heard about uh, eternal punishment in hell. And once you're there, you're there forever. Is that how it is in Calvinism? Oh, yeah. I mean, we believe in sola scriptura, right? So whatever the theology of the text is, is what is what we is what we follow. Um, I just don't. Th- I just think that people are thinking of God's choices on our level, and I I, I think that that's a fallacy. I think to to assume that that our reason and our mental capabilities are able to to rationalize the actions of a of a, a superior being beyond beyond comprehension is it's in itself illogical and a fallacy. Right? If it's beyond comprehension, how can we comprehend it? Um, we can try, and that's that's what that's what debate and theology and talk, and that's why it's good if you're a Christian to go out and and to express um, the, the love that you have and to, and to spread the gospel with, with those that you care about, um, in hopes that, right. God opens their hearts and their mind, right. That's the whole point. It's, 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 it's the hope, but I don't necessarily think that it's something that, that we can comprehend. Yeah. And I, I don't agree with that because I, I think if, uh, a thousand years ago compared to now, uh, we look at how much we can comprehend about uh, uh, the universe as we know it and ideas of the con- uh, the concepts of things like uh, uh, the whole cosmos or uh, life on alien planets and, and trying to figure out what those life forms might be like and all kinds of interesting things. Our ability to understand things and uh, our our knowledge seems to just be ever increasing over time. Um, so- I think that's a purpose because scripture says that when we at the day of judgment and after we're in our glorified body, we will be able to understand, right? Well, the thing is, there's been many times throughout history where people say, oh, you, that's it, we're at the limit, you can't understand anymore. And what happens? Scientific inquiry and discovery shows us there's more to understand and there's people understanding it. Quantum physics is is fairly new compared to uh, uh, what uh, um, scientists a thousand years ago knew. and uh, before that happened, uh, there could have been people saying it would not be contemplatable. And here we are contemplating it nowadays as, as modern society. So to say that there is uh, an arbitrary limit that we cannot understand something like this, uh, I have a lot of trouble with that because the pattern throughout history seems to be showing a different uh, a different way of uh, that we there has to be a limit because we're limited beings. Otherwise, we'd be gods ourselves. Right? I'll give you a quick chance to respond. Uh, well, now, Randolph, because it already why does back there, to you. Why then, does there have um, to be? I'm going to just leave it as a question that's unanswered. We'll give William a quick <laughs> chance to respond because the Super Chat was originally targeting him, and then we'll go to the next Oh, it question. was. Oh, okay. All right. 
Yeah, I would just say that uh, in my belief that, that that human comprehension has to be limited. Otherwise, we are omniscient. Gotcha. And, and if we are omniscient, then we are God. And I don't believe that we're God. So that leaves me wondering, how do we know God is omniscient? I, I think that omniscience and omnipotence is a paradox. And so, but we'll, <laughs> that's a different discussion. <laughs> Next up, thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Pal Nordhall says, For William, did God create us exactly how he wanted us to be, knowing that genocide was inevitable? Yes, creation was perfect before the fall. Okay. We gotcha. can be on that. And this one, coming in from Good Day to You, Sir. Thanks for your Super Chat support. And then Flum666 says, When did William stop beating uh, his friend? I I think they're saying, like, they're saying that you're asking a complex question, one that has. When did you stop beating your wife, kind of thing? It's an unfair question. They don't, I think that they're trying to be, I think. They, I, I don't think they're actually trying to accuse you of beating anyone, though. I think no. that they're trying to accuse you of having used a complex question. I, I'm confused by it. I'm not sure. I don't remember using a complex question like that. Gotcha. And Jayuni, the apostate, thanks for your question, said, If we're intelligently designed, why do we look so closely to other apes? Why not have a much more unique look beyond comparison to other primates? Like the cone heads? <laughs> um, well, I, I, it, it, I'm a designer by trade. So that's what I do is I design things, um, product designer. And all of my products have my fingerprint on them. All of them do. I, I, I do fishing tackle. So um, all of my product designs look that you can tell that they're designed by the same individual, just like iPhones, right? There's a brand image that's placed on every product that comes from Apple without even seeing the Apple logo on it. You can tell it's an Apple product. I think God has his, his design signature. Gosh. Yeah. And this one coming in, we appreciate your question. Jayuni, the apostate says, Oh no, that was the last one. Brandon Arlene, Thank you for your question said, how can someone hear that a few people get to enjoy eternal paradise and most people burn for eternity and not think this is absolutely stupid. Uh, they're free to think that it's absolutely stupid. Um, and yes, they are. Yeah. I have, I have no problem with that because they're, they can't think it's not stupid unless God allows them to. Right. Gotcha. And Wolf Von, Von Hinslick. Thank you for your super chat. I saw there wasn't a question. If you wanted to attach a question to it, but something didn't make it through, just put it as a normal chat and I'll read it as a super chat. So thank you for your support. And then this one coming in from Nick Bosmenu. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Nick. Let me know. Said he shouldn't have bothered getting up on the cross if there is such a thing as theological predetermination in Christianity. What... uh, does Matthew think? Uh, oh, Matthew, I don't see I mean, William. Matthew so sorry, William. you guys. I'm a little behind uh, asleep. It's, it's all part of that, right? So in order for us to have a substitutionary atonement, right? That's another thing that's, 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 that's a principle of Calvinistic 
the tulip, right? The five points. Um, um, I, I just don't think that uh, in order to save any, right? If we're all, if we're totally depraved, if we're all deserving of death, then somebody had to be punished for that. Otherwise, God is unjust, right? If he is saving some without punishing all. So, and that's where, this is where I differ a little bit from some Calvinists. Some, some Calvinists do believe that the atonement was only for the elect. I believe that the atonement through scripture, the, the, the part of, that I get from scripture is that the atonement is capable of saving all. But it, it only uh, it only benefits the elect. You got it. And <laughs> thank you for your question. Ghostlight says, question for Randolph. If oh. hell was not eternal torture, but a temporary state, you can escape. Would this change your opinion? I think they mean like your opinion on the ethics of it. If we could escape, it kind of sounds like someone breaking the rule of confinement. Um, no, that wouldn't change it because the intention would still be to keep people there. But if there was some kind of a, a way out where it was, um, uh, you're only there for a certain period of time and it was kind of intended to uh, match the, the, the transgression. So it was a minor transgression and you're only there for a short time versus a major transgression that there for much longer. And so you blew up a planet and you're there for even longer. Um, then, okay. I would, I'd say, yeah, this was a more nuanced, uh, approach that, uh, that God was using. And it certainly would have more sway with me. Um, that doesn't, uh, necessarily, uh, tie into me believing or not believing it exists, but as as far as something being uh, consistent with the fundamentals of justice and fairness and whatnot, uh, that would be certainly a lot better. I hope that answers the question. Gotcha. I appreciate that. And Wolf von Hinslick, appreciate your question, said, if God has this divine plan, how exactly does free will in praying work with some plan? If there is a master plan and free will can break it, then the plan doesn't work. Well, there, there's, I, don't, I don't know if they caught the Sam Harris equivalencies that I made, but Calvinists don't believe in free will, so it wouldn't. Gotcha. So this ties, this ties into the paradox of omniscience and omnipotence, this, this question, by the way. Gotcha. And but this only one. free will is actually a thing. If there is no free will, then there's no paradigm. Gotcha. And Bali Nax, thanks for your question. Said question for William. What is the point of being Christian if all you have to do is accept Jesus into your heart before you die? Um, so that you can live in eternity with him. I, that's the point. Gotcha. And that is, oh, there's. Uh, Michael Dresden says, uh, "For and thanks for your first time serious questions. <laughs> He's usually uh, not serious, but uh, I think this is serious. So they say, for Randolph, is it wrong for a parent to punish a child for wrongdoing? Because that parent also knew when having a child that the child would necessarily be imperfect at some points. Uh, some, well... 
punishments and consequences are a part of parenting. Unfortunately, it is something that does have to happen. Um, now, the severity of the punishment is is a very important consideration um, for uh, for myself. I've never had to severely punish my kids. Uh, I'm not a fan of the idea. I think that there's usually a much better way to handle things. If something goes wrong, you know, normally uh, children are going to know that, oh, they, they've already made some kind of an error here. And uh, if I'm seeing that, then I'm already feeling like, okay, this is something that we're going to be able to get resolved in, in a very kind and easy and straightforward way for the most part and uh, prevent it from happening again. Um, if uh, uh, yeah, there there are people who favor uh, more harsh punishments like spankings and locking kids into rooms and th with the lights off and things like that, which I am against. I do think that that becomes abuse. So um, I, I'm more focused on the punishment and uh, kind of uh, in the the realm of kind of rehabilitative kind of thinking. Um, for the more severe stuff uh, and not for the, the corporal punishment for sure. So uh, I, which I, I, this is a, this is a kind of, as a parent, a lot of the stuff is you have to deal with it on a case by case basis. Uh, but definitely I'm not into the abuse of punishment stuff at all. Not at all. Gotcha. And Brandon Arley and thanks for your support of the channel says in his super chat, prayer is the religious equivalent of change.org. William, do you agree? Disagree? Uh, I, I I disagree. Um, I, I believe that uh, that Scripture is fairly clear that God answers prayer according to His will, not ours. Gotcha. And thank you. And Wolf von Hinslick, thank you for your follow-up question. Said for William. If it's the case regarding the, you know, remember when we talked about like free will in prayer and God's sovereign mm -hmm. plan is in response, he said, I would like to add this question. How does praying fit into a plan or, or I'm sorry, uh, given what you said, why pray then if there is already a plan such that it couldn't be changed? Um, because it's, it's beneficial to us to do so. I, I, it's the same reason that Sam Harris gives for if if uh, the the natural world and the biological chemistry of the neurons in our brains is preventing us from having free will. Why get up, get up out of bed to do anything? Well, because when you actually realize that you're you're actually free from a lot of inhibitions, um, shame, judgment. Um, all kinds of things. And it really, it really opens up your perspective to that. And, and even if you're not a theist, uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway, even if you're not a Christian and you don't believe in God, I would, I would really consider studying that topic of, of whether free will is exact is, isn't an actual thing and how that, that concept can be as liberating as it is. Gotcha. Thank you very much. And that is it for our questions. Want to say thank you, everybody, for your questions. We had, okay, one more. We'll read it because it just came into the chat. Handsome Rick says, William, if you were God, would you drown the world or snap your fingers in the Genesis story? I think they mean snap your fingers such that, uh, you know, uh, the effects of the flood would happen such that, you know, people would be wiped off the earth without all of the drowning. 
I think that a lot of, of, and I, I could be assuming far too much here, but I, I think that a lot of Christians would probably say, I'm not God. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that, that, that judgment. I'm going to go the opposite say, way and say that if I was God, I would have made every choice that God made. Gotcha. Thank you very much. And with that, I want to say thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. Our guests are linked in the description. And want to say as well, thank you to our guests. It has been a true pleasure. I can't say it enough. Thank you so much, Randolph. And thank you so much, William. People have really enjoyed this, and we really appreciate you hanging out with us. We really had a good time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks and for I having me. I put too. a question in the private chat for you. You got okay. it. And yeah. want to remind you, folks, Amy is linked Amy's linked after shows at the top of the chat, I think. And then Sigifredo Sarabia, thanks for your late last minute super chat, says the only verse that matters, dinner 1930. And then let's see. Oh, wait. I'm, wait. I did. Amy's link is no longer linked at the top of the chat because I linked a different one from Peace and Chaos Program. But want to let you know that Amy's link is in the description box. And so really do want to encourage you, know, you james when i heard dinner 1930 i was immediately thinking flying spaghetti monster stuff there <laughs> you got it and then uh, that's sorry i was like simultaneously trying to read your question in the chat um <laughs> but let's see gotcha and so uh we want to say thank you everybody for hanging out with us and also folks Keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. In one week from today, that Matt Dillahunty debate will be happening with Samuel Nissan on whether or not Jesus fulfilled prophecy. So be sure to hit that subscribe button as you don't want to miss it, folks. It's going to be epic. And so one last thank you, though, to our guests, Randolph and William. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to meet you, William. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you, too. And I, uh, James, I hope I, uh, I did all right tonight. So. It was a true joy, and I'll be back, folks, with that post credit scene in just a moment where I'll be sharing about upcoming debates. You don't want to miss it, so stick around. Thanks, everybody. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.